brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters, buckle up and enjoy the ride from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and it looks like happy days are here again as we spend another chunk of time digging into this weird world with the people who dare to explore it. Because I don't trust the conventional timeline of history any further than I can throw it. It seems clear to me that ours is not a simple single story from hunter-gatherers to eye-watch wearers, but more likely an up-and-down and back-and-forth long-running set of cycles and rounds of civilization with many secrets still left hidden. And the evidence for that is all around us. The diligent research done by those focused on the Younger Dryas impacts, which conveniently overlays with Plato's dates for the destruction of Atlantis. The evidence of mound-building giants in ancient America that won't be in your textbook. The vast underground tunnel systems of nearly every continent that still lack an explanation and the stories from indigenous cultures that involve watchers, teachers, and all kinds of creatures that might have also played a part in the human saga, maybe even some who kicked it off. There's clearly no shortage of ways to wade into the weirdness, but one of the most interesting is the exploration of ancient sites, and more specifically, the remnants of pyramids that at this point seem to span the globe. Egypt, China, Mexico, Armenia, and some will even tell you Antarctica, the moon, and even Mars should be included in the pyramid list. However, one of the most controversial of these pyramid places is the complex that's been creating buzz in Bosnia. And if what the mainstream claims are just large hills actually turn out to be another set in what might have been the work of a worldwide culture of pyramid builders, then they would be the first found in Europe and in many ways some of the most impressive. Well, folks, today we're talking to a fella by the name of Jock Doubleday who found out about these Bosnian pyramid claims in 2011 and was so compelled that he's taken several trips to explore and document the findings, much of which can be found on his YouTube channel, Bosnian Pyramids, and his website, An American in Bosnia. Since 2011, he can now say he spent 23 months living and working in the Bosnian Pyramid Complex, and I'm really glad we have him here to set the record straight. The ancient mystery pursuer, Bosnian Pyramid promoter, and fellow Hollow Earth enthusiast, Jock Doubleday, welcome to the higher side. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Yeah, man, this is going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for doing it. You originally wrote me as someone who's heard THC before, and you gave me a lot of information about this Bosnian pyramid complex, as well as other complexes you've been exploring in Texas. I'm sure we'll get to that. But let's start with the Bosnian pyramids. I'm sure some people are hearing about this for the first time, and I'm sure others are like me and thinking, well, this is very cool, not hard for me to accept, but these ancient pyramids seem to be everywhere. What's so special about this set in Bosnia? So what can you tell us to help us understand their exceptional uniqueness and how they came to be discovered? Well, let's see. First, I'd like to just introduce myself by saying that I'm someone who doesn't know anything. <laughs> and I really mean that. I'm a guy who did field research with a video camera for 23 months in the Bosnian Pyramid Complex. I lived in the little village of Visoko for 16 months in 2014 to 2015 as official videographer for the archaeological park Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun Foundation. And then another three months as official videographer in 2017. So I would wake up every day in the Pyramid Complex and the discoverer of the Pyramid Complex, Dr. Semir Osmanagic, was rarely in town to sort of micromanage me. And even if he was in town, he still wasn't micromanaging me because he had lots of things to do. He has 30 employees working for him in the Bosnia Pyramid Complex. He has lots and lots of stuff going on. He's got tens of thousands or more tourists every year coming in to manage and, you know, volunteer programs. So every year, six continents worth of volunteers come in for two-week shifts to help dig. And so he's got lots to do. I was basically free to do what I wanted. Occasionally, he'd say, hey, come and make a certain video for a certain reason. Oh, there's some scientists coming in. Go film their work, interview them. He'd give me specific things to do. But generally, I was free to do what I wanted. And I would just go walk around and see what was happening. So I have original field research. I have evidence on video and photos. I can't tell you what it shows. I have my own opinions. I don't know anything. You can decide what you think. Watch the videos. Look at the articles. Look at the photos. You can make your own decision, and you can have your opinion, and we'll all have our opinions. The global mind will make its choices. Mm -hmm. Well said, and I've seen a lot of those photos and videos, and of course, I know nothing about analyzing rock or ancient structures, but I do see several things that look artificial, and that's basically where I'm left, you know, I can't really say one way or the other, but my intuition says something's up for sure. And the mainstream says this is a completely natural formation, nothing special about it. And of course, we're going to get into all the reasons to doubt that claim. But I did want to kind of ask you just about your overall views of the ancient past, as opposed to the boring mainstream story. Beyond just the Bosnian pyramids, what does the human story look like to you? Why the big cover up? I think cover-up is the key. It's not just a boring story. It's like a blanket that's been thrown over us. Well, I guess the Matrix comes to mind. Mm. I think it was the veil that's been thrown over our eyes. So it's purposely... It's a deceptive narrative. Yeah, it's darkening our vision. It's dimming our vision. It's like the chemtrails that are dimming, like a solar dimming program. It's dimming our perception purposely. And diabolically, I mean, I hate to go negative, but this is the case. And so it's like, we're going to bore you in school for 12 years. You're going to sit in a chair for 12 years, be purposely and diabolically bored and made to feel that knowledge is something 
that is associated with humiliation because if you don't get as good a grade as somebody else or if you answer wrong, you're humiliated. It's always about humiliating the student and the teacher knows everything and you know nothing. And so knowledge and humiliation are completely tied so that when you go out into the world, after 12 years of that, you go out into the world, if someone tries to teach you something, you go, oh, he's trying to humiliate me. And then you react in a defensive way. And so anybody with knowledge that actually breaks free from the paradigm, the boring, controlled, diabolical paradigm, who wants to be a teacher and to help people also break free, then is looked on as someone to be feared because everyone thinks, oh, he's trying to humiliate me with this knowledge. And so it's a, it's a genius system. It's satanical is what it is. Hmm. Well said, man. And I pulled a quote from your site that I do think gives people another bit of context for where your head's at when it comes to controlling history and education. Here you say, Cambridge University is a Rothschild stronghold. Most of the Rothschilds attended Cambridge and they give generously to the university, if monsters could be generous. The Rothschilds don't even bother to try to hide the connection of the major publisher University Science Books Press to the Rothschild-created CIA. University Science Books Press is based in Dulles, Virginia, a few miles from Langley, where the CIA grows like a giant parasite on the earth to the great detriment of humanity and of the biosphere in general. <laughs> and I like that. You hit on several great points, but most relevant is that the mainstream narrative is pretty tightly controlled and it's not that hard to do. Not as hard as some people would suggest. Yeah. And I was researching the hollow earth. So I think that was in my shielding article that you were quoting from. That has to do with the inner earth, the hollow earth, and the theory that I came up with just recently, which is that perhaps, and this is just a tentative idea, the ancients terraformed the earth with alternating soft and hard layers to shield the inner earth civilizations from asteroid impacts so that the soft layers would cushion and the hard layers would direct the kinetic energy horizontally. So a huge, huge asteroid that came in, which could destroy the Earth or could destroy or at least rock the foundations of the inner Earth civilizations or disrupt their civilization to a significant extent, it would be mitigated. The, the energy from that asteroid would be mitigated by these hard and soft layers. Now, I wrote to the author of The Solid Earth, this book that came out of Cambridge, and I said, you have this book that says that the Earth is solid. and I wonder what you think about the hollow earth theory. And of course, she didn't write me back. That was two mm -hmm. months ago. <laughs> mm -hmm. Her whole reputation is based on this idea that they know everything about the earth or most things about the earth. And students can sit back and listen to the lectures of the learned professors. And she's one of them. Fowler is her last name, F-O-W-L-E-R. And it's the solid earth. So I was talking about that book, how it's published by this company that is clearly compromised. I mean, not just compromised, but created by the people who want to essentially, as we spoke about before, control us. And so this is the problem. So you are breaking out of it. Your chats are breaking out, helping people to realize where we are. And then also not just, oh, we're in a controlled well of darkness, but let's go find out what's outside. What a great idea. <laughs> Indeed. And I like the shielding theory a lot. I mean, we build protective structures 
to shield us from the harsh environment we call houses, why not just scale that up to the entire Earth if you were able to do that or if you lived during a period of cataclysm in the past? We have all these tunnel systems underground. They're pretty vast and hard to explain with the kind of mindset we have about the ancestors. If they could build these tunnels, maybe they could also shield the surface to a degree. I think it's compelling. The tunnels are super interesting because we're just coming to this, you know. There's something called Stanton's Cave in the Grand Canyon. Mm. This is what the orthodoxy has called this tunnel. They call it a cave because they don't want us to realize that it's part of a tunnel system that stretches across North America. Mm -hmm. And they've sealed it off. They've said, oh, bats live there. We're going to seal it off so that no one can explore it anymore because we're protecting the bats. The bats can go in through the holes in the mesh, but people can't go in there. And they've also sealed off Mammoth Cave, which is also a tunnel system, but they call it a cave. So they keep calling these tunnel systems caves. Every time you hear about a new cave being found, it's not a cave. It's clearly a tunnel and that people will go into it and make a long video. And then eventually it'll get sealed off. Well, you kind of wonder where these tunnel systems are going ultimately. Do they connect to the inner earth? That's a question. <laughs> exactly. Who knows where those tunnels go? And so let's get into the Bosnian pyramid research. Maybe tell us a little bit more about uh, Samir, who you mentioned, I mean, this is kind of how the pyramids have gotten as popular as they have. As you said, you worked kind of independently, but we don't have the visual elements that I know you've had for other presentations. Give us an idea of what this complex looks like. Help people get a good visual and, uh, you know, just that 101 context we need to understand this area. All right. Well, in 2005, Semir Osmanagic, who is a Bosnian native, and as some people may not know, Bosnia is a Balkanized country, a part of what used to be Yugoslavia. So Bosnia is just south of and east of Croatia, just west of Serbia, northwest of Montenegro, I guess. And so he was born in Zenica, sort of in the middle part of Bosnia. And he was an unusual Bosnian. In Bosnia, it's malo pomalo, little by little. Everything's slow. Everything's take your time, take it easy. <laughs> um, mm. When I went there as a sort of a hyper-energy American, I stood out like a sore thumb. Everybody thought I was with the CIA because I was running around with my camera and my backpack. And they're like, who is this hyper-energy guy? Why doesn't he just relax, you know? Why is he taking pictures of everything? <laughs> but, you know, I, I, and it's hilarious to me that they thought I was with the CIA because all I do is rail against that nonsense on Facebook. So I have this incredible American energy. Let's progress. Let's go forward. In Bosnia, it's like, where are we going? Let's just hang out and work in the garden and have some fun, have a coffee, have a cigarette. So Semir was different. He was reading. He read hundreds of books while other people were having cigarettes and coffee. And he was learning about astronomy. This was back in the day when the space age was like a big thing. Rockets, you know, were just becoming a, a thing. And, oh, we're going to the moon and fascinated him, you know. Mm -hmm. So he was going all across the world. He was fortunate enough to have family that had enough money to help him, I guess, travel. So he started researching ancient civilizations, and he was really interested in pyramids. And so he wrote a bunch of books on his travels. And his doctoral dissertation is an Indiana Jones adventure novel, but it's based in reality. It's his own travels. It's a beautiful document. 
I think it's called The World of the Maya. Absolutely beautiful document. It's in English, and so anyone can find that on the internet. It's astonishing. That's just one travel adventure. He had many, many, many. And then, in 2005, he came back to his own country of Bosnia, and he was invited by a friend in Sarajevo to come up to visit the museum in Visoko, a little town he'd never even been to, even though it was only maybe 75 kilometers from his place of birth. And so he went up there to visit the local museum just, you know, to see some artifacts from just a few hundred years ago or maybe a thousand years ago. And he looked over and he noticed the hill, the primary hill in Visoko, and he said, wow, that looks like it has a northern orientation and a really kind of flat, smooth side facing north. And then he got out his compass and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> he started looking mm. at this hill and he said, let's go up at the top. And they go, there's nothing at the top, you know, except some old ruins from a medieval uh-huh. town. And he said, no, we'll go into the top. So he took his group up to the top. He saw another structure that looked like a pyramid across the river. And he said, okay, look, we're standing on the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun right now. And across the river, that's the Bosnian Pyramid of the Moon. And he started naming structures. <laughs> and, and then within six months, tens of thousands of people had come to visit the Bosnian Pyramid Complex. And in the first year, 200,000 people came to visit the Bosnian Pyramid Complex. And it's been 550,000. It dropped off substantially immediately after the first year because the orthodoxy came in and said, He's a huckster. He's a liar. He's trying to get tourism to Bosnia. He doesn't have any science. We know the truth. We haven't been there, but we're not going to go there. We are just telling you, and we're going to use Wikipedia to tell you, that it's a false claim, and he is trying to scam you out of your money. So that's the basic Bosnian Pyramids 101. (laughs) Nice. Way to bring us up to speed. Yeah, I've heard... Samir, describe, you know, the two biggest peaks as the Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon, like you mentioned. And I watched a great TEDx talk by Samir where he lays out all the commonalities that seem to relate to the pyramid structures that we know about. They're oriented northwards. They have strong astrological alignments. They have underground tunnels beneath them. They have unique energetic or resonance qualities. And they tend to be near ancient rivers and gold mines. And not only are these characteristics in play with the Bosnian complex, in most cases, they're the best example, right? They're the best example of... Of checking these boxes. For example, northern orientation. The best example we have is the Great Pyramid of Giza at zero degrees, two minutes. So it's like slightly off. But the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun is zero degrees, zero minutes, and 12 seconds, which is actually even closer to a true north orientation. And when you factor in those elements like tunnel systems underneath, apparently the radar shows them to be deeper and longer at the Bosnian complex than most other places. And so these little boxes we can check when it comes to ancient pyramids, they can be boldly marked for this complex apparently because these characteristics aren't subtle there. They're quite obvious, according to Samir at least. You're exactly right, and your research is genius, and you're clearly by far the most well-researched 
interviewer that I've ever <laughs> been interviewed by. Most people are like uh, the Bosnian pyramid. I'm like, well, actually, it's pyramids. And you know what I mean? Like they don't know anything and they just want me to tell them everything. So I really appreciate all your research. So <laughs> sure. you should just talk and I should just sit back and <laughs> I, should, I should interview you. That would be an interesting interview because you, you obviously know a lot about the pyramids already in Bosnia. I try. I try. Like another thing is I hear the sacred geometry that's encoded is 3.2 kilometers from peak to peak when it comes to the pyramids of the sun and moon. Again, 3.2, a number that was important to the ancients. It's in that body of lost knowledge and it comes into play here as well. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's all part of the nine to five. I like to be informed, man, but you have spent time on the scene. What maybe could you tell us from being on the scene that these pictures and videos and my research doesn't tell us. Well, if people want to check out my article, New LiDAR Scan of the Bosnian Pyramid Complex, on my An American and Bosnia WordPress site, New LiDAR Scan. Okay, you've got photos using the LiDAR imagery. It's absolutely gorgeous imagery from a satellite showing the topography of the complex. You know, the pyramids are not, and the structures are not as obvious as in Egypt or other places where they're built out of blocks. Because in Bosnia, they're built out of other materials, and we can definitely get into that if you'd like, because it's totally key. But the LiDAR scan helps us to sort of not necessarily prove, but give more evidence toward the fact that these are real built structures as opposed to natural structures. So as you said, we find the northern orientation of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun to be obvious in this LiDAR scan. We see the really smooth surface uh, there as opposed to the sort of rough corrugated hills nearby. And we see the really smooth concave satellite dish shaped surface of the Temple of Mother Earth, which is a structure just east and south of the Foynitsa River in that complex, so very close to the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. And so we've got these two northern facing structures Valery Uvarov, a Russian scientist who's building a pyramid complex in Tomsk, Russia. In fact, I think he's got most of the pyramids already built in the city of pyramids that he's building up there for healing effects. He's really into the healing of pyramids. He says that pyramids around the Earth, the key face of the pyramids around the Earth is the northern face, and that that is because there's a mothership, I don't know, whose mothership it is, but there's a mothership above the North Pole that's gathering the reflected energy from these pyramids. What this race of beings in the mothership is doing with the energy, I have no idea, but this is his theory. Wow. So the northern face seems to be the key. And in the complex, you see that the northern face of the structures is the most defined, the most delineated. And this satellite dish-shaped Temple of Mother Earth, as you see in this photo in the LiDAR scan article, is shockingly beautiful and smooth. It just looks like an earthen satellite dish. And so as far as the northern orientation of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, yes, you're correct. We have the best orientation of any pyramid so far measured on the planet. And it's also the biggest pyramid so far measured on the planet. Although one could say that there's a pyramid in Serbia, I'm trying to remember the name right now, uh, Ritanya Mountain. It's this three-sided pyramid that is much, much, much bigger than the Pyramid of the Sun, if in fact it's artificial, and many people believe it is. So that would be the biggest pyramid. But anyway, so far, the most, the largest pyramid and the pyramid with the best orientation is the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. It has a zero degrees 
zero minutes, 12 seconds error. So it's so close that it's only 12 seconds away. The Great Pyramid is 12.33 times less precise than the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. So the Great Pyramid is 2 degrees, 28 minutes, 0 seconds off of perfect orientation to cosmic north. So this is amazing because people keep talking about the perfect orientation of the Great Pyramid. And it's like, well, eh, it's kind of perfect. But you know what's even more kind of perfect? Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. So this is documented. The, the orthodoxy doesn't want to look at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it is very hard for me to just gloss past a mothership harnessing energy from ancient pyramids. But I did have a question here about this energy beam. And of course, these things, as you just said, have to relate. If you just Google Bosnian Pyramids energy beam... You can see a bunch of images that show a light beam shooting out of the top. You can find similar pictures of Chichen Itza, but I don't know how much stock to put in this. I'm sure you need special equipment to capture it, and it's not really visible to the naked eye, I would assume. But I've listened to Samir say that this energy beam has been detected by four completely independent teams at different points in time with different equipment, and they all confirm a continuous... 28 kilohertz, four and a half meter beam that's coming straight out of the top of the Pyramid of the Sun. Seems almost too good to be true, but what more can you tell us about that beam? And I mean, I guess the mothership, who can say much about it except I guess if it's there, it's there. Yeah, I've got no more information on the mothership. That was kind of (laughs) another one of those things that I heard Valerie say in an interview. It was kind of a spontaneous interview we did with somebody in a cafeteria where there's a whole bunch of noise behind him and it's clearly just like hey you want to do a quick interview sure i was like oh my god there's so much cool stuff in this interview and he just sort of went on about this mothership for two seconds and then he went on to something else and i'm like oh my god you don't want to tell us more about this so that's all i know as far as the beam on the pyramid of the sun yes four research teams have confirmed this electromagnetic beam Then, in 2017, two years or so later than these teams that researched the electromagnetic beam, Goran Marjanovic, who's a Serbian electrical engineer and a Tesla experimenter, he builds Tesla machines to test them out and see what they do. Super Mm. smart guy, super nice guy. He's been out to the Bosnian Pyramid Complex many times doing electrical measurements. and He's got many kinds of equipment to measure different sorts of electromagnetic phenomena. He's a guy who came out, he said, you know what, you can't measure scalar phenomena directly yet. We don't have the equipment. But he says you can measure the effects, or he calls it the shadow. So in other words, it's not like you can measure the shadow. The shadow's not really there, it's just the absence of something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's the absence of light, so it's not like we measured a shadow. No, you measured the absence of light. I'm doing the best I can to explain this because I don't really understand it. He's the guy who gets it most. I wrote an article called The Scalar Conundrum. I interviewed him. I asked him all the possible questions I could think of, and I gave his answers in detail. So check out my article, The Scalar Conundrum. It's got all the information and all the links. But I'm just going to give you the overview. Sure. What he did was he took a microlight drone. This is 2017, so it's not that far away. He went to the top of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun, where the beam had been measured, and you're correct about the size of it, and it's clearly demarcated. At one edge of the beam, suddenly there's no beam, 
and then suddenly there is the beam. So we have this, what we thought was a columnar beam, right? A beam shaped like a column with energy going in and out, perhaps. In other words, we didn't know for sure if the energy was coming in or going out or both. We thought, well, maybe it's going in and out and maybe it's a communication thing. But that was just sort of a vague idea. But then after Goron came, he said, look, what I'm measuring with my microlight drone, when I take all these different measuring equipment devices that I've hung from the drone, and when the drone goes up and down and side to side to measure what the shape of the beam is, what I find is repeating ellipsoids, not a column of energy. So it's like if you looked at a double helix from the side, if you saw a double helix of energy spiraling up from the top of the pyramid, if you could see that, then it would look like ellipsoids hmm. joined because it's not just a column. The idea is that perhaps it's a double helix kind of form because we have the ellipsoids. We know it's an ellipsoidal thing. It goes narrow, it goes wide, it goes narrow, it goes wide. It's just a few meters. Every few meters it goes wide and narrow again. And he has the, all the exact measurements. He's got a PDF file in Bosnian and in English on that. So Goran Marjanovich on Facebook. But basically what he said is, look, he and Samir came up with this idea of the cosmic internet. He said, look, what if pyramids around the world and what if pyramids on other planets were communicating with each other? Mm. What if we were allowed by cosmic law to communicate across a solar system or across a galaxy or from our galaxy to another galaxy instantaneously with scalar energy. Mm. And what if pyramids were being built not just as multi-purpose energy machines doing many different things, like keeping the planet warm during an ice age, because we've seen that pyramids raise the temperature of the soil by five degrees Celsius. So there's many different things that pyramids can do. They can light a civilization with their electromagnetic energy that they create. But what if they're also, you know, scalar phenomena, scalar energy, torsion field energy hmm. machines mm -hmm. that can help us communicate to somebody in another star system? Yes, that's very compelling. And I'm totally open to that idea. I'm well past the point of being skeptical of things like remote viewing or astral travel or consciousness projection. It's very clear those are real things. So it's possible that like in the context of the Great Pyramid, everybody talks about the qualities of the king's chamber, of laying down in it. And then you have this shaft that shoots off into space. What if this is some kind of aiming mechanism for consciousness? Or what if instead of just astral projecting to wherever you can dial it in to certain places and if maybe two pyramids on two different planets are aimed or oriented in somewhat the same way i know these balls are moving all over the place so it's hard to really dial it in but i think there could be something there for sure i'm very open to that idea yeah and david wilcock obviously has his insiders who keep corroborating each other's testimonies hmm. uh, talking about interdimensional beings the obvious and just copious fact of time travel, everybody's time traveling, everybody's going through wormholes virtually instantaneously. You can go to Mars by just stepping into an elevator and turning a key and then you're in Mars. And mm -hmm. so it's like our brains are expanding 
at an exponential rate with the internet allowing us to hear these insiders' testimonies and the courage of the insiders inspiring them to come forward in a world where the bankers want to come and suicide you. <laughs> you know, they have the courage to step forward and we have the internet to spread it. So we're just like leaping forward in seeing the possibilities of what our world might be. Still, we don't have the truth. We don't know for sure. We just have lots of evidence, tons of evidence, mountains of evidence that the world is not what we thought it was, you know? Indeed, indeed. And some out there definitely ramp that up to 11. And I, I don't know. There are some really wild claims out there, but I definitely think something is in the mix and it doesn't all amount to nothing. But to get back to the Bosnian pyramid complex, your focus has primarily been on the riverbed or the edges of this river that wind through the complex. You say that your research shows that the ancients built or at least corralled this river and built a riverbed that's impervious to water erosion. And this really ties the whole complex together. Can you elaborate on the qualities of the riverbed itself? We're talking about a lot of wild stuff, beams and all kinds of things. <laughs> What's so exciting about this riverbed? Yeah, let's get down to earth. <laughs> let's get foundational. Enough with these beams and stuff. Indeed. Okay, so let's say that you have a love for rocks when you're growing up and you collect agates and you're like, wow, that's really cool. And you just love looking at them and you can have a rock collection and you don't know why you do that. I mean, I did that when I was a kid. I don't know why I collected rocks. Hmm. I got a rock showcase and I lined it with black satin to make them look cooler. And I had a rock grinder and I would polish the rocks for hours and hours and days and days. I would polish them and show them to people. <laughs> I don't I don't know what why did I do that? Why was I doing that? And so many people are interested in gems and minerals and they have gem shows and people are showing their gems to each other. Why are you showing this to me? So I think a lot of people are attracted to earth elements. Yeah. Naturally, it's like part of us. So I'm I'm out there and all of us are still kids. When we're adults, we're still just grown up kids, really. And what we'd really want to do is go out and play in the creek. But what we have to do is go work for the bankers. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we're in a cubicle for 10 hours a day for five or six days a week. And we want to be out in the creek with our pants rolled up. And we want to be looking for frog or something. <laughs> so I got to do that. Because like I said, Samir was away. And when the cat's away, the mice will play, right? Mm -hmm. So my boss was on another continent giving a talk about the Bosnian pyramids, and I had my video camera. I'd wake up after five hours of sleep. Normally, I need eight hours, but in the Bosnian pyramid complex, I only needed five. I'd get up and go, wow, I got energy. And I would just go outside with my video camera and go, what am I going to do today? One day, I said, I'm going to go into the river because I'd been walking around the complex for more than a year every single day. And as I walk along a road and I see the edge of the the side of the hill or the side of the pyramid, and I see the layering, the alternating baked claystone and soft earthquake-mitigating clay layers of these structures. I thought, you know, everywhere I go, I see artificial construction. I've never seen anything natural anywhere near the complex. And I, I went miles and miles outside of the complex to try to find something natural. I took a taxi for 15 miles outside, and I couldn't find anything natural. Everything was built. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go down to the river and see if the river's built. Because I began to think of it as the most logical thing for a pyramid building civilization to do would be to make sure that their structures last. And the best way to do that is to make sure that 
water does not erode the structures from the side. So how would you make sure that that never happened? Well, the way you do it is by tying the structures together at the base so that you've got one megastructure that starts at the riverbed. And the riverbed is essentially a way to channel the water over your complex instead of having it erode it from the side. So I thought, well, maybe that's the case. I said, I bet you it's concrete because there was some concrete on the Pyramid of the Sun that was like covering it. Most of it's clay and claystone. Most of the complex is built of clay and claystone. 99% of it's clay and claystone layers. But I thought, you know what? The riverbed's going to be concrete. Just like the LA riverbed, there's this canal through Los Angeles. I mean, you live there, right? Uh, San Diego, but I'm up in LA from time to time. And probably San Diego might even have something like that too, where they build a little concrete canal for the water to go through. Yes, out to the ocean. We do have that. Yeah, so I thought, well, maybe it's just like that. And of course, you know, the way we do it is just make a flat bottom and then steep sides, and that's it. That's your canal. And I thought, well, maybe that's what they did. So I went down to the river, took my camera, and made a video. And then I made a whole bunch more videos because immediately I saw that it was not concrete, but it was built, and it was built of baked, adhered claystone layers. So the entire complex in Bosnia is built of baked claystone layers alternating with soft clay layers, but the soft clay layers were missing from the riverbed. And the reason for that, presumably, was because when the water comes through along the river course, if you have soft earthquake-mitigating clay layers, the water's going to wash that out. So you've got to have baked claystone layers that are adhered to the next baked claystone layer so it's all hard it can't be washed out it's all concretized so that's what they did if we were going to do something like that we would just go well if we're going to make it out of claystone which is concretized clay you know heated clay why don't we make it flat well they didn't make it flat they have these layers that are edged and angled in so many different ways it's impossible to even tell you you have to go look at the video and, and the photos to see what they did why they angled them that way, why they consistently changed the angles, and some are more steep, some are less steep, but they're all against the flow of the river. In other words, it's like they want to create turbulence, hmm. and then you go, well, if they're creating turbulence, is that because they want to create vortexes that are creating scalar helixes that rise up? Yes. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, Schauberger-type stuff. Exactly. And I've invited the Schauberger scientists out. For two years, I've been emailing them to say, please come out and check out this artificial river. It's just going to be so amazing. You know, please come out. And they won't reply. I don't know why they're not interested, <laughs> but it's like, I want those guys to come out to make their own research because we need this kind of research. Indeed. And I've seen those videos you have. Very impressive. You show a lot of interesting features like these half circles and things that look like steps. Like you mentioned, some pieces of rock or clay or concrete that are angled against the flow of the river. It creates like these little pools, these claystone layers that seem to create like a braking system for water flow. Very compelling stuff. And in another interview, someone asked you how they made it. And you said, <laughs> maybe they magicked it up with their tech out of the ether. And hey, I'm definitely a fan of the prospect that with a knowledge of ether and alchemy, you can fine tune the properties of natural substances and 
very well might be able to alchemically mix the hardest clay or concrete on the planet, similar to some of those advanced geopolymer perspectives on other megalithic sites. We just don't have a lot of context for that, but it's definitely possible. Yeah, and you got to wonder where the ancients got all the material. That's one of the key questions that nobody asks. Look at the Egyptian pyramids. Now we're getting to the point, just now, just in the last few months, to the point where we're saying maybe all these blocks were not quarried but molded. Maybe they were created in situ as concrete blocks, even though they look like they're carved from bedrock. Maybe they were each created, and that's one way you could fit them so perfectly to each other, is if you knew the measurements and the angles you wanted to create first, and then you molded it that way. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. The idea that you could quarry blocks and carve them so perfectly to fit next to each other is, to me, literally insane. You would have to be an insane psycho to think that anybody could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, the institutional orthodoxy is full of insane people. They're very nice people. That doesn't mean they're not insane. (laughs) Their theories are crazy because the amount of work that you would have to do with primitive tools, which is what they posit, to create blocks that fit together so perfectly from bedrock, that's just nonsense. And then you have to transport them? I don't think so. So we're getting to the point, a lot of people are saying now, scientists have said, look, we found a hair inside, I think it was the red granite of, it wasn't the Great Pyramid, it was a pyramid nearby. There was a human hair inside of it. Hmm. A lot of people are coming to this realization that the ancients needed to have material, I don't know where they got it, to create concretized blocks. Just like we would today, we go find material and we make blocks out of the material and then we then we build our structures. Or we pour cement, we pour it into molds and that's our foundation. So I think that's basically what they were doing, but where did they get the material? Now, Semir Osmanagic in the Bosnian Pyramid Complex, he has said for years that the place that the ancients got the clay to build all these structures was Osiela Hill, which is directly east of the Bosnian Pyramid of the Sun. And if you look at a map of the Visoko, you can see Osiela Hill there on the right. It's a very steep, tall hill right along the riverbed there. Now, I went to explore this hill. It happens to have been involved in the war 20-something years ago. And so there were snipers on that hill. They had put landmines along the hill. So a lot of people don't go anywhere near Osceola Hill because they say the landmines, which are plastic and super hard to find by satellite, super hard to detect by any means, really, so far, although a Dutch company did come along and say they had the ability to find these landmines, so hopefully we'll be able to get those out of there. But those landmines still exist, and they come out in the rain, and they roll down the hill, and no one knows where exactly they are, so no one goes on Osceola Hill. But I was like, you know what? Here I am. I got time, and I'm not worried about landmines, because <laughs> I'm crazy too. The orthodoxy is crazy, and I'm crazy too. So I'm crazy enough to go research Osteola Hill, because I want to know what it is. Is it a clay quarry or not? Yeah. So I went there, and I sort of gingerly <laughs> went up the slope, and I found immediately that it wasn't a clay quarry. It was full of textured, concretized clay blocks. Clearly a built structure, and then you see the alternating soft earthquake mitigating clay and the hard baked clay stones. And not just that, but inclined baked clay stones. In other words, they inclined 
their stones into the structure for structural strength. So the weight of all these clay stone layers was leaning into the hills. They weren't just level, they're leaning in and just super strong. So when you see that, you go, oh, they built this hill, but then where did they get the clay? So hmm. this is my, I've been talking for 10 minutes, and really my question has always been, I'm trying to come around to this, where did they get the material? There's so many structures, and they're huge. So how did they make this material, or where did they dig it up from? But we don't even know how deep the building goes. So in other words, the riverbed could be 100 meters deep and built in its artifice. Or it could be only, say, five meters deep. We don't know. But what if it's 50 meters deep? Where'd they get that much clay to make a riverbed that's 50 meters deep and tens of kilometers long? I mean, that's a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, man. There is a lot there to explore. And to dismiss it all out of hand seems a little disingenuous. And that seems to be what's going on in a lot of arenas. I wanted to ask you about the political aspect how has the local government been responding? I hear that they dismissed it, but now they like the tourism and it's a bit of a mixed bag. What's really going on there? How have the authorities in the Bosnian area handled this situation? Well, it's really positive now. So it did go back and forth a little bit. Originally, it was positive and the mayor was in favor of the project and supported Samir with a little bit of cash and the country of Bosnia supported him. Then the politics switched. I think it was because the orthodoxy came in super hard and said, you know, this is nonsense. And so the politics switched and they stopped funding the project. And so Semir's Archaeological Park Foundation has essentially relied solely on tourism money to fund all of the digging that's been going on there and all the research. A lot of, a lot of scientific research, a lot of lab tests, super expensive. Tourist money has been the key. Then... Just recently, the mayor of Visoko, who had been adamantly against the project, switched. I think it's because Samir didn't fight her. He just sort of said, she has her view. We'll just deal with this road to Ravne Tunnel. That's The road was just breaking apart, and the city wasn't fixing it because they were like, screw them. Screw them and their tourists who don't spend money in town. They take a bus up to the souvenir stands at Ravne, and they spend money for the foundation, but we don't get any of the money. So in other words, the city was thinking, we don't get money from all your tourists, which of course wasn't the case because all the hotels got money, the taxi drivers got money, the taxi drivers have families that live in Visoko. In other words, the money was getting spread out. It's just that the city wasn't admitting it. Mm. And so they weren't fixing the roads. They weren't helping Samir. Now they are. They built a new road just last year to help get buses up there in a safe way because the road was falling apart. I mean, it was really, really bad. So now they can get up to Ravne Tunnel, which is pretty far above the river where the tunnel entrance is. And Ravne Tunnel is the main attraction in the pyramid complex. And I know that you're super interested in that tunnel system. Yes. If you want to talk about that, I'm happy to do it. <laughs> I definitely do. And I believe it's called the Ravne Tunnel Labyrinth. It seems pretty amazing. Dozens of miles of tunnels. Apparently, people see orbs of light in them and feel energetic effects. There are megalithic carved stones in the labyrinth, I hear, that mark the direction and the water flow of the stream underneath. Please, tell us anything you can. The underground, I mean, that's my bread and butter. Oh, the underground's your bread and butter? <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's definitely one of the things I'm most intrigued with when it comes to the ancient world or these sorts of structures. Why are you 
particularly interested in the underground, do you think, more than anything else? Well, because I love that Hollow Earth theory, and I've seen some compelling video that seems to show the polar opening. A lot of people suspect that the UFOs that are seen are really flying in and out of those openings, maybe other tunnel systems around. And the prospect of even an abandoned underground city is amazing, but... If we could amp it up to 11 and say that potentially there's living, breathing civilizations under the surface. I mean, that to me is one of the craziest and wildest things that I entertain as a possibility. It's a lot of fun to think about. And I don't think enough work has been done there to completely say that it can be dismissed. Yeah. I'm with you because uh, I got a hashtag called surface dwellers. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my new hashtag for, for my shielding videos and articles because I feel like there's so much evidence that there is not just one, but many different hollow earth civilizations that are advanced and not just humanoid, but other, I'm not going to go into other ones. Reptilian. Okay. <laughs> and there, and they, you know, it's not like they're all like living in a big fun one area inside the earth. I mean, clearly the insiders information that we have tells us that the reptilians have their own caverns that are only a few hundred meters down in certain areas. And then there's these fully deep inside the earth in the center. Then you have the Anshar, which is presumably what David Wilcock calls humanity from the future, who time traveled back and is protecting the optimal timeline, as he calls it, or as they call it. So the Anshar are basically us from the future, you know, a highly evolved race that's protecting their ancestors, which is us. And so it's kind of a really cool idea. If it's true, I just absolutely am so happy to hear it. I'm just really happy that there's someone out there who cares because it's clearly in a world run by bankers up here on the surface, nobody gives a damn. They're setting up a system that gets us to compete with each other, hate each other, divide and conquer each other. And it's like, oh my God, we're just, who we're going to go to war with next is pretty much the surface dweller idea, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who are we going to hate next? Oh, our neighbor? Let's hate our neighbor. Oh, we got to have a religion to say love our neighbor? Why do we need a religion to say love? <laughs> <laughs> love our neighbor. Why don't we just, why is it that we want to hate everybody up here on the surface? Well, you kind of wonder what it would be like to live in a civilization, perhaps there is one in the inner earth, where people don't hate each other, where they're just like getting along. Some of what I've heard is that music is really, really important to the Anshar race that lives inside the earth. And mm. you got to wonder what it would be like to live in a world where you get up every morning and people are thinking of what the next best song is or how to harmonize better instead of who am I going to hate? How am I going to make enough money to survive and pay my rent to a landlord that I don't like, you know? <laughs> indeed, indeed. That prospect does sound appealing. Maybe we should trek down that Ravni Tunnel Labyrinth and knock on the door. Well, that's the thing. There's a researcher from Italy, Nenad Djurjevic, who believes that Ravni Tunnel does lead to the inner earth. Now, there's no evidence for that that I've found. And I've been in there 200 times making videos, and, and that's not an exaggeration because part of my job was to make videos of the volunteers who worked in there and to check out the new science, and there'd always be some new excavation, so I'd always be in there making videos. All of those tunnels, first of all, i got to explain that there's so much information about Robin the Tunnel 
it's impossible to get it all into this podcast, but the key to this tunnel system, it's a prehistoric tunnel system. It was built in prehistoric times, presumably at the time that the Bosnian Pyramid Complex was built. Then it was filled in and estimated 4,600 years ago. And the reason we know it was probably 4,600 years ago is that we found some organic material inside of a dry stack wall inside the tunnel system which gives us an idea that that's when someone came in and filled it in because the dry stack walls are part of the fill-in process. And you're like, well, what does that all mean? Well, what it means is that probably 34,000 years ago when the pyramid complex is estimated to have been built, this tunnel system was built for unknown reasons. We don't know why there's a tunnel system there. It's way above the river, by the way. It's really, really far. So it's not like near the river like most tunnel systems are. So why is it so far above the river, first of all? Why is there a tunnel system that's a labyrinth in there? It's not like, oh, let's go from A to B with this tunnel and we'll hide out here from some enemy. No, it's like this incredible winding labyrinth of tunnels that are basically human height, but then, you know, you got to kind of got to squat down in the beginning and then it goes up and down and up and down and up and down. And by the way, that up and down ceiling is an engineered ceiling that gives the ability to bring air into the tunnel because it's a low-pressure, high-pressure ceiling. So in other words, there's low-pressure areas, which are the higher ceiling, and then the lower ceiling compresses the air, and then the higher ceiling decompresses the air. So the air moves by itself without a fan inside the tunnel and continually rejuvenates it with oxygen from outside, which is unlike any modern tunnel where you need a fan to push air in and the further you go into the tunnel the less air you have even if there's a fan blowing the air in and pretty soon you can't breathe once you're way down into the tunnel you can't breathe because there's no oxygen that's modern times well the ancients knew more there's no entrance and exit there's only one entrance so the entrance is the exit in Rodney tunnel labyrinth so the only way to get air into the tunnel is from the entrance one entrance and it's a really small area well how'd they do it how do you get 500 meters into a tunnel labyrinth and still be able to breathe. In fact, how can there be even more oxygen, which is what they've measured? How can the concentration of oxygen be even higher, deeper into the tunnel? And you're like, this is amazing. Ancients really knew something. Clearly, I'm just rambling right now, so you should get me back on track to what you want to ask me because there's just way too much information, you know? <laughs> well, it's all fascinating stuff, man, and I could just listen to it all day. And I did want to spend some time on this megastructure in Texas before we hit the finish line. Apparently, there is a pyramid there, too. And I have had Josh Reeves talk in depth about the rock wall in Rockwall, Texas. And it seems to be a mixture with crystals and things in it, similar to other artifacts from the ancient past where we talked about the mixing of these materials in a way that they have properties that defy logic today. I don't know how close what you found is to Rockwall, Texas or anything, but can you tell us any more about this or the pyramid there? I know it's probably early to say a lot, but is there anything else to add? Well, I'm not sure how far away Rockwall, Texas is, but I've done a little bit of research into that as well, and it's absolutely amazing what they found beneath the soil there. It's just such an ancient, massively built, rectangular structure, and you're like, why would they build a rectangular rock wall that's so huge 
what's the point of it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like, let's say that today we said, let's build a rectangle wall. And people would be like, what for? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, why, why in God's name would you do that? Why did the ancients do that? Well, they've got walls all over the world and the orthodoxy always tells us that there remains of fortresses, but you don't find the fortresses. All you find are the walls. And then you go, wait a second. These walls are all built of stones or let's say concretized molded concrete blocks, whatever you want to say, either way, that are literally set perfectly next to each other always. They're never just sort of cobbled together. So they're set next to each other and you think to yourself, what if they're conductive mechanisms? What if they're created to conduct energy? So these walls might not be a fortress to protect you from an invading horde at all. Maybe they're literally mitigating or conducting or amplifying energy from the earth or something like that, probably earth energy. So that's my feeling for Rockwall, Texas. I wish I could tell you how far away it is, but from where I am, I'm in Kerrville and nearby, just south of Kerrville, about an hour or so. And this is all west of Austin, west and a bit south of Austin, Texas is a little town called Utopia. And just east of that town, on Google Earth, I found an odd structure that looked pyramidal, triangular, you know, a three-sided pyramid structure. I thought, well, I wonder if that's natural or artificial. So I went down and did some field research. And I wrote an article called The Utopia Pyramid Complex. And the first image you see is from above. It's just a Google Earth image of a three-sided structure oriented to the cosmic north and when i researched it in the field i found out i took a tool i sort of went to go dig there i couldn't dig because it's all concrete and you say well you don't know that it's artificial concrete and it's like well i don't know that it's artificial but it is concrete whether it's natural or artificial and my tool just rang off of it it was a small metal hand tool and just rang right off the pyramid at the base of the pyramid it stepped It's not stepped like Roman-style, perfect right-angle stepped, but it is stepped concrete. So there's, it's not just a smooth face going all the way down at the bottom. It's pretty smooth near the top, and you can see that on the Google Maps image if you just search my article, Utopia Pyramid Complex. But you have this stepping out, and I've seen this all around the world. Everywhere I go, there's stepping. Bosnian Pyramid Complex, same thing. They have terracing. They call it terracing that they say farmers made, but it's not terracing, it's stepping. The way we know it's not terracing in Bosnia is because the steps are not, it's not like the rice fields in China, you know, where they have a flat terrace and then steps down and then there's a flat terrace and then you can work on the flat area as a farmer. No, it's not like that. It steps down and then the angle continues. So you have this really, really dramatic step that if you're climbing up a pyramid, it's hard to get up it in the Bosnian Pyramid Complex because it's four or five feet tall. You have to climb up this really steep sort of bump on the side of the pyramid (laughs) or the hill, Mm -hmm. and then you keep climbing at the same angle. There's no flat terraced area for a farmer to work on. There's no orchards built on any flat surfaces, you know. So there's this stepping everywhere you go. Texas, the same thing on these structures. It's a stepping down, stepping down. And why they did that, I don't know. Maybe it's a foundational thing, like essentially if you're building from the bottom, you're sort of building a larger foundation that then gets a little bit smaller and you step it up. You step it narrower and step it narrower, but you're starting with a larger foundation. So I think that's probably what they're doing. 
But if you look at the just switching over to Bosnia really quick for a second, if you look at the terracing that they call terracing, the stepping, I call them step downs in Bosnia. They're all over the hills. Every hill you see in the Visoko Valley area, no matter whether you think it's artificial or natural, every pyramid has these step downs on it. And they go for miles and miles and miles. And clearly they are not artifacts of somebody's property where they terraced it because each area of terracing would be different. In other words, they wouldn't step it at the same spot. Where the property line ended, this next farm would step it somewhere else. But these things go on and on and on. They curve. They curve beautifully, elegantly all across the landscape. Then there's another one, another 30 meters up the hill, another one 30 meters up the hill. And so the entire landscape is terraformed with these step-downs. And it's the same thing in Texas with this pyramid complex. I found three structures. I call them scalar antenna number one, two, and three. <laughs> Instead of calling them the utopian pyramid or the Texan pyramid of the sun or something, I call it the scalar antenna number one because everybody's calling it the pyramid of the sun. I got to do something different. you know. Yes. But someone else who comes along can call it what they want. I don't care. I don't have to be the guy that names it. I'm just saying, check this out. This is weird. I live near here. Here's a thing that looks like a pyramid. And then I'm just going to go on to the next thing because I don't want to be the guy who stands at the gate and gets $3 per tourist to show you a pyramid that may or may not be a pyramid. I just don't care about that. What I want to do is push the scientific envelope forward with evidence. Here's some evidence, and maybe it's a pyramid, maybe it's not. Anybody can decide, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Man, the world is full of mysterious things, and <laughs> that pretty much brings us to the finish line. We really went for it today. You know, I love those details on this Bosnian pyramid complex and anyone who's a friend of the hollow earth is a friend of mine. Before I cut you loose, remind the people where they can follow up on your work and maybe see more videos and images of the things we talked about today. We got to have a hollow earth party somewhere, <laughs> whether it's on the internet or we meet up in the middle of America somewhere. Because I think the hollow earth is becoming big. I think we should have a celebration because, you know, it takes a little bit of courage, let's say, to go against the orthodoxy in any realm because it's pretty strong. The universities are pretty <laughs> strong in wanting you to believe the way they want. Yeah, well, hey, any excuse to drink a little drink and smoke a little smoke is all right with me. Let's have a celebration. It could be a virtual meeting, but I think we should celebrate this idea because it's a wonderful idea that planets could be homes instead of landscapes where you had to scrape out an existence on the surface. But instead, the idea that the mass of the Earth could be your safe walls to keep you safe from all the cosmic rays, to keep you safe from people who might want to come and war against you, and, mm. and to keep you safe from asteroids. And what a great idea. It makes a lot of sense. I think we should celebrate that idea. So people can find more information on my An American in Bosnia WordPress site, and then I got the Bosnian Pyramids YouTube channel, which I made as a backup channel for Samir's official channel, which is Bosnian Pyramids TV. So those are both good places to find information. What else? Oh, I'm writing a couple books. One's called Who Terraformed the Earth? <laughs> but the main book, the primary one that I'm working on, I want to get out first, is called Who Built the Earth? Because I think there's a lot of evidence, geophysical evidence, astrophysical evidence, that the Earth and that probably other planets were built too, that they didn't just form, as academia tells us. They say that they gravitationally accreted, that the dust particles are like, hey, 
I'm so heavy and you're so heavy, even though you're just a micron across, that we're going to gravitationally accrete in the vast void of space. Really, are you? So Wallace Thornhill from the Electric Universe model of the universe says that this gravitational accretion theory is nonsense. Mm -hmm. And if we discard that theory, then how in God's name did planets form from dust and gas? Well, they didn't form, so someone had to build them. So that's my next book. It's called Who Built the Earth? That's coming out whenever I can get it done. So I'm really excited about that. And I do have a little website called Who Built the Earth WordPress site. And it's got the chapter titles. And I've got the research mostly done. I just have to get time to write it. And I'm just really excited about so many subjects. I'm excited to talk to you. You've got a great audience. I mean, I had no idea until we talked earlier before the show that you had such a large audience. I'm really impressed. And I'm honored to be on your show. Ah, thanks, man. And I'm excited for that book to come out. You're going to blow the case wide open. <laughs> of course, you know, I can include a couple images with the show notes if you'd be so kind as to shoot me over some good ones. But that pretty much does it for us. Thanks again for your time and all the work you're doing. Take care out there. Thank you, Greg. You got it. And boom goes the dynamite. <laughs> I really like when we do something that nobody sees coming. And I can tell you, I really didn't know a damn thing about the Bosnian Pyramid Complex before preparing for this show. And as much as you'll read out there about it being one big hoax, it seems like there are 10 or so fairly big points that a person would have to write off entirely to make the case that this is all natural. I don't think Jock would have gone back so many times and uprooted his life if he went there and didn't see something. And the underground parts are obviously the most interesting to me, which really didn't get cracking until the second hour because there's just so much introductory context to set up before we could really get into that. And the time really did just fly by. I never want it to be super obvious, but I really do put a lot of thought and consideration into where to cut the first and second hours of all these episodes, and I usually end up giving free listeners an extra 10 minutes sometimes just trying to find the right split where the guest gets to fully make their point before I chop it. Obviously, between question and answer, we know that can sometimes be 15-20 minutes. And this week, like I said, I wanted more tunnel details in the first half, but this is the nature of conversation. And like Happy Gilmore, we just got to play it where it lies. I will say the most fun guests are often the ones who speak boldly, and Jock had no problem doing that. And I know the energy beam claims are way out there, but listen to Samir talk about it sometime. He's got several... Different presentations you can find on YouTube, Bosnian Pyramids, and the name Samir, S-E-M-I-R, will take you there. I've heard him describe that he's gotten multiple independent teams out there who all have gotten different readings from it. He gives their first and last names. He talks about their research teams. It's hard to just say that he's completely making it up and has gotten three different research teams to risk their reputations on that lie. On the other hand, it's also pretty odd that even alternative researchers tend to ignore or dismiss this site. Given the various sites that alternative researchers are highlighting, 
what is so different about this one? Why would this be a wrench in their narrative? It seems to be complementary rather than contradictory. Obviously, an audio show has its limitations, but it's pretty easy for people to do some follow-up. Maybe check out the images that I included with the show notes, or check out Jock's website or YouTube channel. And I might actually try to get Samir on sometime down the road, because I'm pretty into this now. And he's very passionate and knowledgeable, and I think he'd be a great complement to today's episode. But I'd want to put some space between them, just because there's so much other stuff to get into. I've got no shortage of topics, even with staying pretty non-political lately. And I'm really happy about that. Some people are writing me saying that I'm ignoring everything that's going on. But to me, it's just a big circus, and we are talking about things that matter. Maintaining your own food supply, 5G, big pharma, missing parts of the human story, the corporate ufology nexus. All these things are important and interesting to me, and they're bigger, longer-lasting issues than any president. So I say let's keep doing our own thing and not let ourselves get sucked into the same old shit show. I hope you're with me on that. I consider that to be the distraction, not the higher side chats. Anyway, I am also glad that we got to talk a little bit about Philip Coppins. I still stumble on writings of his. He was way into a lot more than Ancient Aliens, got a lot of respect for that guy, and he is missed. People might remember in the early, early days, I did actually have a pretty great interview with Philip Coppins. And we had a second one scheduled. And this was the first time where I was actually there, ready to go, and my guest wasn't showing up. It's happened a lot since then, but I mean, this was early, and I was like, what's going on? I message him a couple times. A half hour later, he hits me up and says, hey, I'm really sorry. Uh, I woke up, something isn't right, and I'm on my way to the hospital. And then to my knowledge, he never came back out of the hospital. Really sad because when you consider that whole lot of early Ancient Aliens cast members, he was definitely my favorite. And as you know, as much as we fit into the first hour, there's always a second hour for people willing to support the show. It's eight bucks a month. I give you five two-hour episodes. We keep it action-packed and commercial-free. And I say treat yourself to more. In this particular one, as I mentioned, we talked about the Ravni Tunnel Labyrinth. We talked about witness reports of healing while spending time inside that labyrinth. We talked about some sweet, sweet earthquake data that supports Jock's hollow earth shielding theory. Gotta love that. And some provocative content about who built or terraformed our earth and various hollow earth entrances around the globe. All good stuff. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Big thanks to Jock for his dedication and his passion. But this closes out the month for us. I am pretty proud of the five set, a healthy dose of education and a generous helping of speculation, and a few more logs for the fire. But I'm getting out of here. Thanks for listening. Come back again next time. I've done my part. Your move, Bosnian Pyramid Complex Concealers, Human Story Hiders, and Tunnel Labyrinth Liars. Your This is important. Here what I said. 
I'm trying to tell you It's not paranoia, not in my head It's just the hard truth Knocked on your door while I still can To ask you a question Cause I know your head is still in the sand Don't be sheep till you slaughter for the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung food? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world No matter what you say Scary dark world Don't think we'll be okay Can't you see that we're so and wish but we don't have a choice it seems we're stuck here but you can find noses drown out the noise now use that altar and up your magic game and listen to THC you know you go with the entities if you ever see the you for the rest of your life oppressed oppressed but you're getting woke you say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die tough luck my friend did you get the memo can't you say that we're so screwed don't you know we're our kung food can't you just admit we're screwed i'm gonna tell you this Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so-